and welcome to another episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. My name is Adam Saldana, Senior Video Editor and Media Maestro here at Cannabis and Tech Today. It's my first time hosting and we actually have a very special guest with us today, Danny Merslote, Master Cannabis Cultivator and Co-Founder of Alpen Stash, a small family-owned sustainable cannabis grow in Lafayette, Colorado. How's it going, Danny? I'm doing good. How are you doing? Doing, doing as well as I can be, man. Just trying to stay safe in this, uh, these crazy times. Uh, yesterday was 420. So how was your uh, 420 yesterday? Uh, ours was pretty good. We actually, um, you know, got work done from home. And that's always nice when that happens. And, um, you know, uh, both my wife and I are new parents. So this is probably our chillest 420 to date. Uh, <laughs> right. But, oh, yeah. Yeah, the weather was warm here. Uh, we just got over a big snowstorm, so we kind of spent the day outside just hanging with the family. So it was it was awesome. Yeah, no, nice. That yeah, it's crazy now with the. Uh, I know you're in you're in um, right outside of Boulder, right, Lafayette or Louisville? Yeah. Where is it at? Uh, so our business is in Lafayette. Lafayette. I live in Longmont, so it's, nice, you know, pretty close. Yeah. Yeah, so I know I'm over here in Illinois, and and we're still on lockdown. I heard uh, Colorado is about to be off of the lockdown here uh, this weekend. Is that correct? Or yeah, um, I think they starting May first, they're going to uh, open limited businesses. There's a whole long plan. We actually watched the governor's speech yesterday, and they've got you know yeah, there extensive. was like science for hours. It seemed like on uh, how they're staging things up, but. We're going to try to get it going. Um, you know, my for my family, though, it'll probably be, uh, you know, we've been pretty good at isolating. We'll probably stay like that for a while. Yeah, yeah. Well, so for um, so for our listeners um, that don't know much about Alp and Stash, and really, um, I actually had the chance, the opportunity with one of our editors to actually go visit you guys when I was living in Colorado um, to see the Alp and Stash grow facility and you took us around and showed us like a really cool tour. So I'll, I'll make sure to leave a link below and our, uh, on our YouTube page. And yeah, kind of showed like the ins and outs of that, but really, um, kind of tell our viewers a little bit about you and, and maybe how, how you kind of started, started in the cannabis business, maybe like before you started growing. Yeah, totally. So, uh, shortly after I turned 21, I had a uh, pretty bad stomach pain. I suddenly woke up with it, um, went to the hospital, was hospitalized for, I think, four or five days. It kind of uh, was unresolved, and uh, they released me with a prescription for Vicodin uh, and doctor's appointments to follow up. Um, during that following up and testing, they, they couldn't really figure out what was going on, so they just kept the prescription going. Um, after uh, a few months of, of that, uh, I at the time was seeing a gastroenterologist and they kind of uh, scratched their head and they said, you know, we don't know what's going on. Maybe you should go see a pain doctor. Um, so I, I saw a pain doctor. This was in, I think, 2003. Um, and his first thing to do was to put me on fentanyl. So I switched. Yeah. I, yeah. Uh, yeah. Back then... Um, I mean, I certainly didn't know what it was and, and, you know, now it's pretty much everybody knows what it was, what it is, but back then it wasn't, uh, you know, the information wasn't the same. So I switched from, you know, a couple of Vicodin a day to fentanyl, both the instant release lollipops and the patches, the time release patches. Um, yeah. And then of course with that was, 
you know, more testing and uh, it was really big into injection therapies. So, you know, trying to different nerve blocks in different areas to see if we could get things under control. So, um, so did they, did they, they didn't even have a diagnosis really. They were just trying to figure out and they were giving you all these like stuff before they even really had a diagnosis. And yeah, yeah. It was just, you know, I, yeah, exactly. Um, and that's crazy. And I, I know a lot, I bet a lot of people go through stuff like that all the time. I mean, like the opiate epidemic is obviously huge, but like, yeah, I know you're probably not alone in that situation. That's crazy. So, so they just started kind of, they giving you fentanyl and other, and you said oxy too, you said? Is- no, uh, that came later, but uh, there was, oh. uh, fentanyl comes in an immediate release form and an extended release form. And I was oh, on the both. lollipops, that's the lollipops, yeah, that's what you said. and the patches are the extended. So I, I remember um, the conversation I had with the pain doctor. I, he said, well, you know, right now we're treating you with a little hammer um, <laughs> for pain, but we could use the big hammer if you want. And I was like, well, I don't want to be in pain. So the big hammer you know, I didn't know. I mean, that was, he didn't say the big hammer is this, and this is what this does. And this is what the long-term outlook was like. It was just, you know, so, um, yeah, I mean, you know, certainly these days over the last few years with this opiate epidemic, that, um, route of prescription leading to issues, dependency, addiction, whatever, uh, is much more well-known and recognized. But back then I don't, I mean, I don't know how it wasn't, but I don't think it was. Right. And even you know, just, today, yeah, yeah, today you would never go to a pain doctor uh, if they were any good and go from a couple of Vicodin a day to, to fentanyl. There's like, you know, just no way. I mean, it's not even labeled for, for that use. It's, you know, it's more for like end stage cancer pain and things yeah. like that. Not just like undiagnosed, um, painful, but not, uh, you know, debilitating, crippling pain. Um, yeah. And even just being like a young, like just being a young guy in your twenties and like, just not knowing what's going on. Just, it's just one of those things. It's like, yeah, man, just not, you kind of learn as you go too. I know I'm just getting a little older too now, but just you kind of learn and just get more experience about learning and hearing stories like that and other people's experience. So yeah, there wasn't really a lot of knowledge on that front, uh, even 10, 20 years ago. So yeah, it's crazy. Uh, Yeah, not at all. And and I have a history of pretty bad asthma as a kid. So I've been uh, around and treated by a lot of doctors that were very ethical, very trustworthy. So I kind of grew up in the mindset of uh, doctors are ethical and trustworthy and they know what they're doing and they're doing it for you. And um, I learned that, you know, in retrospect, um, that that's not always the case. And, you know, unfortunately is, and sometimes not even often the case, you know, I've learned that uh, doctors are like people. There are some that are really good and they're in it for the right reasons and are fantastic people. And there are some that are really greedy and selfish and in it for the wrong reasons. And you hear about those in the news, you know, with the pill farms and things like that. And there's a whole range in between. Um, so that, that, I mean, it was an eye-opening experience in, in a lot of ways, but certainly with that. So, um, so, yeah, so we're so we're kind of like in the mid middle of this, and so like you're you're getting prescribed all this. You're probably like stuck at home this whole time and all doped up off the stuff. Like so, kind of what was your experience with that? Like how did that? Yeah, so I I sort of liken it to uh, a lobster in a pot of water. You know, it 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 was such a gradual descent um, into a pretty terrible time that I didn't even realize, you know, how bad things had gotten with in terms of you know, how medicated I was and how much of an opiate haze I was in, you know, how much 
all my behavior had changed, how much right. my, you know, rationality and decision-making, all that stuff. It was just such a gradual transition. But by the time it was bad, I didn't have, you know, I kind of didn't know it. Um, but eventually I, you know, I was pretty much homebound, um, you know, going really socially isolated, going from doctor to doctor, doctor's appointment to doctor's appointment, um, you know, having different procedures and testing done. Um, and, and actually what, what had happened is, is eventually uh, I developed uh, a couple of years into this, I developed a nerve impingement uh, problem issue in my like upper uh, arm or upper neck that kind of affected my whole arm. Um, and in, in retrospect, what I believe is, is I was in such a kind of deep opiate sleep so often that I feel like over a course of a couple of years of doing that, just sleeping on one side, not turning, I, you know, com- kind of compress that area um, of my body. So I had treatment for that. I had a, a number of surgeries for that. Um, and pretty soon I was, you know, taking prescriptions for the side effect of the prescriptions that I was taking, taking prescriptions for the side effects of those. And, you know, was in a pretty terrible state. Uh, you know, I pretty much didn't leave my room, uh, except for doctor's appointments and, you know, t- had to take medicine to wake up, uh, take medicine to, you know, to go to sleep. And it was a uh, pretty bad time. Um, in that time, uh, in, in 2009, I had become pretty desperate. I also had a uh, non-cancerous basal skull tumor that had a pretty major surgery to remove. Um, so I was pretty hopeless. And uh, my dad, uh, again, this is in 2009, medical uh, cannabis had just sort of become accessible to uh, you know the general public. And so uh, my dad suggested actually that I go get my red card, my medical card, and see how that would you know would would do for me um yeah so i i it's funny i actually went and saw my regular doctor um i just happened to have my medical uh marijuana appointment later that day i was seeing my regular doctor my regular doctor had been my doctor since i was 13 told me um at that appointment you know you either need to go to drug rehab therapy or we're not going to treat you anymore um that was pretty uh, bad for me to hear because I felt like my issues stemmed from uh, legitimate pain problems and not, you know, a drug addiction, uh, strictly drug addiction problems. Um, so I left that appointment, um, happened to go get my medical cannabis card later that day. Um, and then, you know, there was a process of getting that. And uh, within a couple of months, started using medical cannabis and Within a few months after that, had gotten myself off all the opiates, um, and you know, began to get my life back together. Yeah, that's crazy. That's super crazy. You hear a lot of the stories, like like you're saying, people kind of just transitioning because you weren't a regular user like most of your whole life until like this. Like you said, you were kind of really desperate with um, the medical benefits of cannabis and some of those aspects. It's and it's funny too. You said like your dad was the one of all people usually like parents i know some people everyone has a different family dynamic and stuff like yeah. that so that's really that's a really that's really interesting that your dad was uh, was he just just knowledgeable about it or had he had he kind of experienced some use and kind of just wanted to kind of advise you in that or yeah so um i was really lucky both my parents are are really chill when it comes to that my dad my dad was actually a drug defense attorney in the 70s and worked oh, cool. uh, helped start colorado and normal and worked to you know hard to get uh, legalization at that point. Um, 
he had been a pretty uh, regular user, but uh, you know, had stopped, you know, probably a couple of years after I was born. My mom yeah. was a hippie. Um, <laughs> and so they were both, and where we where I live in the country, Boulder at the time, at least, I was very, you know, it's pretty, it was pretty socially acceptable. Yeah. Um, and so, you, you know, and, and in terms of my use, I had smoked in high school a little bit after that, but uh, later, and especially with the, the opiates, I had had bad experiences. And so I was not uh, a regular user and I hadn't for a long time. And I was pretty hesitant because of the bad experiences I had had uh, and times I had recently ingested. And so for me, it was sort of like uh, uh, almost like an out of desperation that I even did try it. Um, and, you know, the interesting thing in all of this is I, I came to find out a little later that you know, opiates are not even really uh, supposed to be prescribed to undiagnosed muscle pain. Um, because if you don't know the cause of action, they actually can, you get into a cycle of them creating more pain. Um, right. You know, if you're, if you don't know if, if there's a pain problem in your body and you're not fixing that, uh, your body can actually devote more of that nerve pathway to pain signals. So your pain will actually intensify. And then also with the the stagnation, the physical stagnation that comes with, you know, being in that state, you know, it's not good for anybody to lay down, you know, 18 hours a day. So, um, as I began, as I used cannabis to treat my pain and I got off the opiates, uh, cannabis obviously is very useful for pain, but just getting off the opiates was, um, a big, you know, a big, yeah factor for clearing up that pain in the first place yeah just changing up your lifestyle like you said i bet just being more active and like you said social life i mean yeah like you said if people don't really think about stuff like that but obviously cannabis is one of the most social you know aspects too just and then being able to get out so when so so then after you kind of like started getting in um getting did how did you get into growing a little bit like yeah so um Actually, back then um, in 2009, it was pretty much like the Wild West uh, here in Colorado for dispensaries. Right, so right. I, I went to the first dispensary I saw because it was the one that had a, it was across the street from CU, uh, the college. It had a giant neon sign, said Dr. Reefer with an arrow. You know, some <laughs> of them were more discreet, but I didn't know where they were. So I just went to the one that was, you know, huge sign and they gave uh, clones away free with purchase. Oh. So I walked off with my first few purchases with plants. Um, Interesting. I had, I had, I've always enjoyed gardening and growing plants. I had right. been using that as uh, sort of like a therapy, um, you know, something to do uh, container gardening at that point. Mm-hmm. So uh, walking home with these or coming home with these plants, um, you know, I was like, well, I'll grow them and see what happens. And then yeah. as cannabis really started to, uh, fix and enhance my life. I uh, really started putting energy in taking of these plants and imagined a future in which this could be actually a career as well. So uh, I used growing as a therapy. Um, and for me, the the actual aspect of growing was as therapeutic as ingesting cannabis in the first place. It gave me, you know, a hope for my future. It gave me something to get up and do during the day. Um, you know, it gave me something to be responsible for and just sort of uh, you know, the in, in, ingesting of cannabis uh, spiritually and uh, psychologically helped plug me back into life. Um, but the growing of cannabis did that much as well and forced uh, like a physical aspect in there too, which I'd always been a pretty physically active person. And um, 
you know, so it was something to get me back up and moving and, and, you know, working, um, lifting things, you know, was really, really important. Yeah. No, that's, that's great. Yeah. Like you said, when I first heard your story, um, back like a little over a year ago, I was just like, wow, this is so inspiring. I know a lot of people can connect with, um, just that aspect of like being misdiagnosed or having some kind of, you know, you hear about it all the time. And then also that, that route you took of like using the growing as your therapy, that really stuck with me because yeah, people just need to find a hobby that they love. I'm, I'm always a proponent of, um, you know, I work with photography and video and work with stuff too. It's like, you have to kind of have a passion and wake up and, you know, kind of have interest in what you do every day. And like you said, if you're just laying around and kind of, it really affects your life, you know, and doing, doing some, or even a job that you don't really like and stuff like that. So yeah, that's great. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you know, I've spent a lot of time reflecting on, on how I got to where I am and, and if I was to give advice to somebody and, and one of the things that I think is extraordinarily important is having a passion and having a goal and having it be something that you truly believe uh, is achievable. So for me, that was, you know, I had spent my 20s uh, in such a poor state that I didn't really have any, you know, professional or uh, career future or anything in mind. And, and this idea that if I learned how to grow cannabis um, really high quality and, and something that I put my heart and soul in, you know, naturally kind of being predisposed to the craft mindset that I could actually have a future, uh, that was incredibly motivating. Um, and so I had the, that motivation as well as the passion and the enjoyment uh, in working with plants as well. So I think, like you said, that's uh, so important for people's recovery. And I think it's often overlooked. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Especially with recovery, just having something like you said, just a, a total lifestyle change. But so before we go any, uh, any further, and, and I really want to dive more into some of your like very famous strains and like cultivars and into, like you said, we're just kind of getting started in your story about how you started growing. But right now you have some, some of the, these amazing strains and your um, craft cannabis is like renowned in Colorado. I mean, I, I remember a couple of times I went to the dispensary and it was all sold out. So so before we go on any further, we're going to take a quick little break and uh, we'll dive in a little more deeper with Danny Mersloat. Hey, everyone. Thanks again for tuning in to this episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. Real quick, this episode is sponsored by Canatrack. Canatrack has created an ecosystem for the entire cannabis industry and beyond. Now you can go completely cashless with the Canacard, a digital payment system combined with loyalty and rewards that simplifies the payment process for retailers and alleviates the burden by operating in an all-cash environment. For more info, be sure to check out www.canatrek.com. Welcome back to Cannabis Tech Talks. We're here with Danny Merslope, Master Cannabis Cultivator of Alpen Stash. And we're talking about craft cannabis and some of the art of craft growing. Uh, cannabis really changed the life of not only a lot of people, but Danny here specifically uh, with him growing and just, just starting to use with some of his ailments in um, early life. But yeah, so Danny, uh, coming back to dive right back in, what um, I wanted to talk a little bit more about something that really stood out to me when I got to go visit you guys was um, like kind of the passion and art you guys have. Um, there at Alpenstash. Um, I just wanted to talk a little bit about some of the, like that art of growing. Um, can you kind of touch a little bit and like the quality of your cannabis, obviously coming from that. Can you kind of touch on that a little bit? Yeah, definitely. So, um, I mean, this ties into, you know, how cannabis helped me, but 
it really, it was such a passion of mine that, uh, and I put so much effort into learning how to do it in, in a way that I believe is the right way uh, and, and the pursuit of, of quality, which really is one of the driving factors of not only me and my wife who, who runs Alpenstash with me, but uh, our employees as well, all two of them. Um, you know, so uh, really from the get-go, it, it was a, you know, a labor of love and a, and a passion project. And, and like I said earlier, I'm predisposed to craft things. Um, I am lucky in, in the part of the country I live in that's a pretty sustainable uh, and respected sector of any business. Um, and so I, I realized early on that um, there was no way that I was going to be a, a giant mega corporation. And so in order to um, survive as, as, a, as, a, as a business, as a, a business creating something, it would have to be that craft niche, which is also where, uh, you know, a lot of our passions lay. So we just devoted ourselves to that mindset and that model from the beginning. Um, and, and really, you know, that has uh, been very helpful for us. Uh, there's, you know, as dispensaries sort of and grows kind of, uh, you know, kind of come together and, and you get these big corporations out of it, there'll always be room for the craft producers. Right, right. And I, I remember hearing last time when we, uh, when we met, hearing your story, it was, didn't you, you kind of started growing at some of those like large facilities where they're kind of just churning out like grow ops, like huge grow ops like that. And then kind of, like you said, you kind of wanted to stick to more of the small quality, um, like craft, like you said, is that correct? Yeah. So my initial job, um, was for a grow for, um, you know, what is a large facility? Um, and, and it's not necessarily the size of the facility, but it's also the mindset of the people that run it. Obviously the, ma the management. Yeah. Yeah. The management and ownership. So the place exactly. that I started was, was definitely a quantity, um, mentality. And, uh, I just, it was, uh, soul sucking and you'll have, a, you'll, you know, you'll hear a lot of, uh, growers that, that are in this for the passion. They just, they get their soul sucked out of them. And, and most of them, you know, have to leave the industry. Um, so after that, uh, job fell through and I, and I actually left pretty quickly within a few months because it was just terrible. And it was at the startup and it was like, if it's this bad now, it's only going to get worse. Yeah, you got to get out now while you can. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, like you said, and the timing of it, like that, that had to be, because like Colorado is just, I mean, it was obviously the California and Colorado are a little ahead of the, the game there. So that's perfect. You got your, your foot in the door kind of right then. So, yeah. So, so that was, I think in 2010, uh, when I left that, um, I decided to go to, to pursue this, uh, to pursue starting my own facility. Um, pretty seriously. So I started taking horticulture classes and just learning as much as I could. I got a job uh, in the um, selling uh, equipment and supplies at an indoor grow store. Uh, then as um, Alpenstash sort of began to take off, um, I left that uh, to focus on working out, uh, making Alpenstash reality full time. Got another job at a family friend's grow uh, this one was small. It was actually smaller than ours, but it was also just terrible, terrible ownership, terrible management. Um, and and I realized, you know, even more strongly, like this is a really longtime family friend that I'm being treated this way um, with somebody, you know, that I at least should have a little bit better of a history with. Like I, in order to do this the way that that I want to, so that I can do this as my profession and not have my soul sucked out of me out. Uh, 
really have to focus on doing our own thing. So we were able to get uh, licensed uh, at the end of 2014 and, and started growing plants uh, uh, in 2015. Nice, nice. Yeah, like, and like I said, uh, when I was out there, when I was out there visiting, um, one of the, the things that really stood out was uh, all the different um, like phenotypes you had. Mm-hmm. I mean, not just like different um, strains, but and I know you crossbreed and you um, you kind of uh, experiment a little bit with the breeding, and so that really stuck stuck out with me because as a consumer, um, I kind of look for you know as any consumer does, like looks for the different flavors and you know smell and obviously all the different characteristics that you know that they're their favorite. So um, yeah, I kind of wanted to talk to. Uh, I got my hands on actually. I went to um, Colorado Harvest, um, mm-hmm. and this was a little over a year ago. Like right after I visited your grow your grow app there, I was like, I got to get my hands on some uh, some of these strains. And so I went to Colorado Harvest, and I think they only had um, a little bit of the Donatello that you let uh, that you guys grew there. It's yeah. not it's not your specific strain, correct? But yeah, so that's actually one of the few we grow that isn't ours. Um, and that's a fantastic cultivar. And, and this is good timing because we just uh, harvested our, our newest cross with Donatello. Uh, we crossed that to our Moxie dog. We call that orange chemsicle. So that would be re- uh, available for purchase sort of at the end of, of this week, beginning of next week. Oh, um, nice. Yeah. Yeah. yeah some, but, of those, some of those um, cultivars are amazing. I remember like the Donatello was like really citrusy and had a lot yeah. of those, those, um, I think you said it was crossed with uh, like purple Urkel and uh, what what was the other one it was crossed? So that one's actually lavender diesel crossed with Casey Jones. Casey Jones. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And I remember the Ninja Turtle correlation. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. Like, and then um, um, you had like Lemmy Winks. And yeah. Like that, that's one of our originals. Barrow yeah. King. And I mean, yeah, I just one. remember so many of the different. Um, and another one that you had mentioned was um, the Emperor's Breath. Remember, yeah. I remember you showing us that one and it was like like garlic and mushroomy, like kind of like more savory smelling. You were telling us about that. So like maybe for the first one of our, um, for our viewers here, can you kind of describe like kind of how some of those like phenotypes come to and like the, the experience you had with kind of like learning and falling in love with like breeding and kind of growing? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, my two passions are quality uh, and the genetics, you know, variety is the spice of life. Um, you know, if you kind of get in, into cannabis, you, you pretty quickly really enjoy experimenting with, you know, all the different terpene profiles and, you know, genetics and all that stuff. So, um, I spent most of, you know, the first part of my, uh, growing experience, growing, uh, you know, strains that were commonly available, easy to get a hold of, or, you know, some rare stuff too, but just, stuff that wasn't, that wasn't ours. And while that's really fun, um, it becomes for some people like, you know, the passion and the addiction becomes seeing what you can create. And so certainly, um, being able to, to offer that in, in the commercial space and sort of use that as a way to, uh, elevate our own brand and our own company is, you know, while we do have some genetics that aren't ours, the Donatella being one of them, you know, they probably make up less than, 10% of, of what we uh, grow and offer and, and really, you know, exploring the different uh, iterations that this plant can take has been uh, super rewarding and, you know, has been also rewarding in a business sense too. So, you know, often what we do is we 
take a, a mom plant that we really love and we take <clears throat> a dad plant that, that has good growth traits and, um, you know, cross them and, and see what we come up with. You know, we're a little bit less, um, for the most part, we definitely have some cultivars in which we have an end goal in mind, but right. in general, we're more about at least the first initial cross, uh, the experimentation of it. So for example, that emperor's breath, uh, which is really savory, like you said, garlic and onions. And um, we actually call it that because it's like what we imagine the breath of an emperor would be like after a feast. A feast. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was great. I remember smelling it and I was like, oh, I can't. And like I said, when I went, there was only a cut. You, you guys are so hard to get your hands on those drops. You guys, if you're listening, make sure to, to get your hands on some of that stuff if you're in Colorado. But yeah, yeah the emperor, and, and, and that emperor's breath. So it came from two parents that were totally different right yeah yeah and then just uh, really quickly to your point of the drops you know check our instagram we have drop information there but that uh emperor's breath was really surprising we took uh the mom is lemmy winks it's one of our original strains that smells exactly like grape skittles you know it's very very sweet artificial grape smelling and then we took uh the pug's breath male that has sort of like a like a purpley velvet um a little bit earthy smell to it too and uh, crossed them, and that the resulting terpene profile of savory garlic and onions was such a surprise. Like I had, you know, if you would have asked me, you know, ten guesses of the terpene profile in the end before we grew it, never would have guessed that. So, I mean, you know, that's just sort of the things that keeps, uh, you know, keeps the passion alive, where you're just so surprised and stoked, and then you're like, well, now we have that, like what if we cross it to something else? Like what will that flavor be? What will that growth trait be? So, you know, that, uh, that's just so much fun yeah, so from no. our, from our standpoint. And we really, you know, as a company uh, and as a business, like we, uh, we do what we do because it's what we love and what's what we want to offer. So when we find a passion, like, like Emperor's Breath and, you know, we dive into that and we just embrace it. So, you know, we really do what we love. Yeah. So for uh, so for other growers out there too, I know um, I, I kind of wanted to start dabbling a little bit in like a home grow, and I know your YouTube your YouTube channel is really cool. You kind of take take people around all the time, but I know you were telling me a little bit about um, you were going to start maybe like almost a new kind of do it yourself, like kind of home grow thing. And I mean, right now with everybody stuck inside and just people. The content, I mean, like, uh, is so high in demand right now. I think that's like perfect. Like, I know I would tune in to watch something like that. Are you? Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, definitely. Um, so, you know, f as a company and as a cannabis business, we actually are really passionate about home grow and about caregiver rights. Um, you know, I think one of the best ways to uh, for your your kind of average or starting consumer to understand what. Uh, you know, what really high quality is because it might not be accessible or just what it takes and the passion is, is for them to grow it at home. Um, so that's, you know, part of the reason why I'm super passionate about that. Obviously, cannabis is, um, and the growing specifically, its benefits for me have just been so great that I support that. But to that end, um, and, and part of our ethos is being completely transparent. So we do have that YouTube page where we do have a lot of our grow techniques and, and tips. So we don't do anything proprietary. Um, you know, and, and so we just want to share the knowledge that we've gained. And, uh, it occurred to us, my wife and I, that, you know, with, with the, the time in this world being what it is, uh, and, and being able to be self-sufficient is, is really a good thing that, 
Um, you know, we are going to start off a small, you know, just like one or two plant grow at home and, and using it uh, very affordably, doing it very affordably. And we wanted to, to share that with people. You know, there's so much focus with a lot of videos on, you know, how to produce a ton of quantity, which often that takes a lot of lighting and electricity and expense and air conditioning and all that stuff. We just want to show people how to grow, you know, what they themselves can consume um, and do it in a fun and enjoyable way so that it's successful, low stress and easy. And um, yeah, so that's, that's our next project while we're stuck more or less at home. Yeah, no, I know. It's so crazy. So, so not to get, get negative on us here, but like how, how has business, has business been, you guys, like you said, you guys are still taking care of your plants since the coronavirus has it really affected you guys as much to, and, and to the viewers too, just to explain, uh, it's, you guys said you only have, um, two employees. It's just you and your wife, right? Like it's a small, yeah. small, like you said, real love craft, craft cannabis. So yeah, yeah. So it's my wife and I, and then we have two additional employees. Um, so it definitely has this pandemic has definitely uh we've seen a downturn uh just in the industry uh, initially uh or, or or now initially there was a big upswing because everybody thought they were going to get locked down and everybody went out to buy as much as they could and there's actually you know the funny story is and especially for your listeners in not legal states um we're considered a critical business here in Colorado so the cannabis industry is you know is is considered as essential as grocery stores and pharmacies and they actually they the first lockdown order happened to the city of Denver and initially they said they were closing the cannabis businesses the the recreational ones the medical was going to stay open but they're closing liquor stores and cannabis businesses and immediately uh their lines went out the door for those businesses and people started going crazy. So within two hours, the mayor actually went back on and said, hang on, we're going to let cannabis businesses and liquor stores stay open. So it's that, that juxtaposition of it being illegal in many parts of the country and the world. And in some States it being considered a critical business is just uh, so interesting. And I think overall positive. Um, but after that initial surge, uh, just the uncertainty um, has really in many assets uh, and sectors of this industry has, has kind of put a down turn on things. But uh, with that in mind, you know, we're still doing okay. Uh, we certainly, we had expansion plans. Um, we were in the middle of applying for permits to, to expand our space. And that's all come to uh, not a halt, but almost a halt, very, very slow. Uh, and that part has become a little bit more uncertain. But we do have our businesses afloat. We're able to keep our employees and keep moving forward and um, stay open. And that is a blessing. And so, you know, while it's not the way that it was beforehand, we're not, uh, you know, we still consider ourselves lucky. Yeah, that's no, that's great. And I think that's like a really great milestone. I know we've been talking to a lot of um, business and people in the industry. And yeah, it's just such a positive thing. Um, Laboratories and even equipment manufacturers and yeah, it's just a great milestone, um, like cannabis, like you said, not too long ago, or even in some places of the country, it, it was illegal. And now here we are, and it's like deemed essential in a lot of places. So yeah, it makes it, it definitely makes you feel good. A lot of you get that bad stigma and people sometimes working in the industry, but it's good that uh, that we're actually known for helping out and stuff like that too. So 
Yeah, and it's it's awesome that our government recognizes our local government at least uh, right. recognizes the value of cannabis not only for health but for people's well being. And um, you know, I will say though that you know we because we're such a small crew, continuing social distancing at work has been really easy. Um, and we always, as you've been to our facility, being clean is a cornerstone of our business. But you know, we've in, increased that too. So that's been pretty. Overall, yeah. it's been easy for us to implement. Uh, yeah, if you check out, uh, we'll 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 drop a link in the in the description here. But yeah, I think uh, when we uh, myself and one of the editors got a chance to to jump in, uh, kind of go through your tour, and yeah, we had to get suited up and put all the whole, um, you know, like you said, cross contamination and stuff like that. So yeah, that's that's good that you guys are obviously practicing that. And yeah, so last before we um, before I let you go, um, I just wanted to ask about those last um, cultivars that you said it will be dropping soon. What, mm-hmm. um, what are what are some of those that you said before I let you go here? Yeah, so we got three main ones that are brand new. We got that orange chemsicle, uh, which I talked about earlier down the telecross. We got one uh, integrity cookies. Uh, it's been a project we've been working on since 2018. We're finally uh, have it down now. Um, huge South Park fans are like hometown heroes. You know, I grew up watching them, um, you know, so, uh, yeah, so we're really stoked with that one. That's our, uh, that's a form cut Girl Scout cookies crossed with our Lemmy Winks, uh, which is also a South Park reference. And then the last one uh, of this new round we're offering is uh, called Cookie Power. It's our Cookie Confundo crossed with a Power Lock. So really excited to release those. Um, and we've got a whole nother round of new genetics coming up after that. So, you know, 2020. And moving forward for us is going to be a lot more uh, new genetics to offer. And uh, again, check our Instagram for, for drop info. And really quick, I just want to tell people that, you know, if you've got any questions about growing or, or anything, any way that we can help you, especially during these times, you know, feel free to reach out. We're really accessible over Instagram. Um, and we love helping and we love, you know, giving people something to do and some, something to hope for. Yeah, no, that's great. Yeah, that's great. So um, again, just tell them where your, um, what's your website and your um, social media, Alpenstash on Instagram. and. Yeah, definitely. So our website is alpenstash.com. Our YouTube channel is alpenstash. Uh, Instagram's at alpenstash. Uh, emails alpenstash at gmail.com. Nice. Well, yeah, like I said, I could talk to you. Every, I could talk to you all day about the genetics, and I can't wait to hear about some more stuff and actually get my hands on some of those strains and stuff like that. I can't wait to go back out there to Colorado and try to try to get a hold of you guys. Well, thanks so much for spending time with us uh, today, Danny. It's been a pleasure, and um, everybody, thank you so much for listening to today's episode of Cannabis Tech Talks. If you like this episode, make sure to share with your friends and subscribe. And also don't forget to check out our social media channel, uh, canatechtoday.com. And like Danny said, if you're interested in learning about growing or any kind of questions like that, feel free to reach out to them. And everyone stay safe and have a good rest of the day. Bye.